We have a young man with us. I'm not quite sure where you're from, young fellow. George Washington. Where is George Washington? Still in Japan? Over there. Okay. Good to have you back, Josh. Josh is a, <laughs> he's a, a sailor, and it's good to have him with us again. Genesis chapter 19, we'll be looking at the second half of the chapter. We'll be looking at verses 30 to 33. And we are looking at Lot, his family, and his wife. Two angels have been sent by the Lord, two messengers of God. In their responsibility, their duty is to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. What a task. Go destroy a city or several cities. These angels, but they can't bring destruction upon Sodom and Gomorrah until Lot, his wife, and his daughters are safely out of Sodom. And these angels end up taking Lot and his family, his, well, part of his family anyway, by the hand. They actually take them by the hand and lead them out of the city. It shows us to the extent that God will go to deliver us, even when we're not necessarily in the right frame of mind to be delivered. But we have patience and mercy and grace being displayed by our Lord and it's being done in such a way that you can't help but notice it. What great love our Lord has. And it's a beautiful picture of God's love towards mankind, even when God must demonstrate judgment. Right in the midst of judgment, we see God bringing Lot and his family out of Sodom. One of the things I think I appreciate most about our Lord is his long-suffering. Our God is not easily provoked. Have you ever been around somebody that you were afraid to say the wrong thing that they might get offended? Well, our God is not that way. He knows our heart anyway. He knows, he knows the thoughts in your head before you even get them. But God is long-suffering. And in particular, he's long-suffering with who? Us, his people, believers. We're the one that tests our Lord. You know, unbelievers, they're opposed to God, and they don't know it, but they're opposed to God. But he's patient with us that he calls his own children. In Psalm eighty-six, fifteen, it says, You, O Lord, our God, full of compassion and righteousness, long-suffering and abundant in mercy, God long-suffering, again, perhaps to me personally, what I consider the greatest loving characteristic of God. Because when I look at my own life, I would have quit on me years ago, but God didn't. God bore with me. So I honestly say praise God for his love, his patience, 
and is long-suffering. Lot, however, and his family, they're examples of God's abundant mercy and grace. Lot, a man that Peter, in his epistle, uh, he calls him righteous. But when we read chapter 19 about Lot, he doesn't appear very righteous to us. And we left off last week with Lot's wife looking back over his shoulder towards Sodom. And then she's judged and she's turned into a pillar of salt. Lot's wife is to be a remembrance for us as believers of God's judgment that comes upon an evil heart. Lot has been rescued. He's been delivered from destruction. But he finds himself living a life of compromise. Lot lived a life that when we look at it from the Genesis account, he had no moral convictions whatsoever. But Lot is rescued. He's saved by God. But his life, when we look at it, he has a life that has no influence upon his neighbors, upon the city he lives in, Sodom. And for that matter, not even upon his sons-in-law that he tries to persuade that Sodom's going to be destroyed. And they think he's joking. Lot is a very poor example of a man who God rescues, but a man who has no good influence whatsoever upon those around him. But let's, let's read Genesis 19, and we'll look at verses 29 through 38. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Then Lot went up to Zor and dwelt in the mountains, out of Zor and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zor, and he and his two daughters dwelled in caves. Now the firstborn daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on earth to come in to us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us Make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drunk, uh, drunk with wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. Chapter 19 is done. Lot, if you remember, he has asked that he 
not have to go out into the wilderness, but when the angels talked to him, he wanted to go to the little city of Zor. And, and we find Lot now, he is evacuating the city of Zor, and he's afraid because of that city. He has escaped to the wilderness. He's in the mountains. And now we find him and his daughter, daughters too, and they're living in a cave. Lot and his daughters are the first doomsday survivors. <laughs> you watch that program? <laughs> Doomsdayers. Uh, I have to confess I watch that show occasionally. But I'm always interested in what the different doomsdayers that are preparing for doomsday, what they consider will destroy the world or what they're going to have to flee from uh, to go into hiding, if you will, and preserve all this food and weapons and all these kind of things. And some of them say, well, they think it's going to be economic collapse. Others say, well, it's going to be some pandemic or some disease or plague. And even some of them think, well, it's, you know, there's going to be uh, uh, tremendous upheavals in the weather. And, uh, but anyway, they all have their scenario of how the world is going to basically end. But we have Lot and his daughters, and they're dwelling in a cave. Now, somehow or another, they have managed to acquire a few possessions as they dwell in this cave, like wine. They're going to get that drunk. They've, they've managed to find some wine. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny, but anyway, you know what? And, and they're thinking that we have to preserve the lineage of our father. Verse 21 reads, There is no man around to come in and take us as wives. You know, it's possible that these daughters thought the whole world has been destroyed. Maybe the news doesn't get around, but everything around them has been destroyed. And they might think, hey, this is the end of the entire human race. And so they are wanting to preserve life as they know it and... The only way they know to preserve life is to go into their father and have ancestral relationships with him. And that's the best spin you can put on that whole scenario. The little daughters, they get dad so intoxicated that he does not know what he's doing. Now that's drunk, my friend. They become pregnant by dad. And here again. They're trying to preserve human life, supposedly. And Lot, he drinks to the point of no remembrance. And then he does it again the following day and sleeps with his younger daughter. That tells us a little bit about his character, doesn't it? Here you got a guy that drinks into oblivion two nights in a row. Consider this now, though. Lot has been reduced to the most, what we would call, offensive act of incest that could go on. He's committed this sin, and he doesn't even know it. 
and you go, wow, <laughs> that's pretty severe. The depravity of man to sin in such a way is startling to us. But here's what I appreciate about Scripture. It doesn't hide the sin of Lot, nor does it hide the sin of his daughters. Lot is exposed by Scripture. That's one of the reasons we can always trust Scripture to tell us the truth. King David, it tells us of his sins. Uh, it tells us of Moses. If you read Moses carefully, Moses had a temper. And it tells us of his temper. Um, scripture is faithful to give us the complete truth. The children that are born to Lot in this act of incest are the Moabites and the Ammonites. These two groups of people, they're not necessarily mortal enemies of Israel, but they're not Israel's friends either. Balak, you remember Balak, he was a Moabite, and he tries to hire Balaam to curse Israel. So this Moabite, Balak, was not a good guy. The Ammonites, they're a little more civilized than the Moabites, but they're, they're not friends of Israel either. For Israel wanted to pass through their land at one time, and uh, the Ammonites made it difficult for them to do so. But Israel is forbidden by God to intermarry with either one of these tribes of the Moabites or the Ammonites. God did not want his people intermarrying with the Moabites or the Ammonites. Because both of these tribes of peoples, they worship Molech and Shemas, and they're simply gods of fertility. In fact, uh, the little god of Molech was a little ceramic god, and they would heat him up to, uh, in the furnaces till he was glowing red hot, and then they would actually lay their child in these hot arms of this little god Molech. So they were caught up into very, very uh, horrific worship of Molech. So Molech was not just another god. He required uh, human sacrifice to himself. But getting back to Lot and his family, why would God devote a whole chapter in the book of Genesis and expose Lot and his sins and his family's sins for the whole world to read about? Why would God do that? Well, it's simple. Sometimes a bad example is the best way to make a point. And God is making a point here with Lot and his family. Lot and his family become examples of what not to do. In the book of Luke, we have Jesus. And he's speaking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And he's speaking to his disciples, and what he's talking about in Luke 17 is when the kingdom of God will come. So, if you will, turn with me over to Luke chapter 17, and we're going to read a passage there. 
with Jesus interacting with the Pharisees and his disciples. Luke 17. We'll pick it up in verse 20. Now when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of these days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under the heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so... Will it be the day when the Son of Man is revealed? In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Then verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Verse 20 there, the Pharisees, they want to know when the kingdom of God would come. That's a good question. And Jesus, he, he answers their question. He says, you will not be able to observe when the kingdom of God comes. Why would Jesus say this to the Pharisees? Because the kingdom of God is standing right there amongst them in their very midst, and they do not know it. Jesus himself, the Messiah, the Christ, is right there, and the religious leaders don't have a clue. You see, unbelief on their part has blinded their understanding. These religious leaders, these Pharisees, cannot see the kingdom of God, and you might say regardless. There's no way that they can bring themselves to believe and accept Jesus. So Jesus stops talking to them. He ends his conversation right then 
to the Pharisees. No more conversation with the religious leader. And in verse 22, we now have Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, you will desire to see me in those days to come, but you cannot. Many false teachers or leaders will say, look here, we have found Messiah. And then he says, do not go after them. Some, sometimes we think all the false messiahs are gone out of the world. But at the last count, a recent count, by the way, there was hundreds of people living and walking on this earth right now who claim to be Christ. You go, where are they? <laughs> well, they're out and about. And, it, and Jesus, don't follow them. One of those, Louis Farrakhan, he happens to be a man who claims to be Christ. Louis Farrakhan, Christ? Not in my book. But anyway, then we have Jesus, and he's speaking of suffering the cross and being rejected. And Jesus will give two examples of end times or how his kingdom will come into being or come about. And he says, as it was in the days of Noah, and as it was in the days of Lot. In the days of Noah and in the days of Lot, life was very daily, just like it is right now. And Jesus goes on and he talks about they were eating, drinking, getting married, planning marriages, buying and selling, and business was going on as usual. But what I want you to take note of here is Jesus does not condemn the evilness of Noah or Lot's day. He doesn't condemn the evilness of the world. But Jesus does condemn the attitude of his people towards that sin. That's what Jesus condemns. He doesn't condemn the people that are sinning, but he condemns those that are looking upon their sin and their attitude. Sin abounded in the days of Noah, and God brings a flood of judgment upon the whole world. Sin abounded in Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities of the plain. And God brings judgment via fire and brimstone upon these cities. And God points to these men that escaped judgment, Noah and Lot. And he says, they're examples of my grace. Sodom and Gomorrah happened to be an example of how quickly and how sudden destruction can come. Two years ago, a giant earthquake hit off the coast of Japan. We all watched it on the news, and it was one of the most severe earthquakes in the history of the world. It was a 9.0 on the Richter scale, and that's up there, by the way. I have uh, lived in California and gone through earthquakes around five or six, and 
they will shake you. They will make you <laughs> a little bit awake. <laughs> and I, I have actually been shaken and got up out of bed by such quakes. But this earthquake that hit off the coast of Japan was so severe that it actually shifted the earth on its axis ever so slightly. That's a severe quake. That earthquake that hit Japan lasted five minutes. That's forever in an earthquake. Most earthquakes last 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds, and you go, wow, that thing would never quit. Can you imagine five minutes of the earth shaking, severe shaking? But the earthquake was not the big killer of Japan. The following tsunami, this giant wave that came in, brought the destruction. Japan is a modern nation. They have in place these buoys that sit out at sea that warn of tsunamis. The people of Japan had a warning that tsunamis were coming. They had one minute. They had one minute. And Jesus has talked about destruction coming. He says, don't go gather your goods. You know, don't go be trying to save life. He says, just flee. The people of Japan had one minute. No time to gather up things then. You had to head for higher ground and quickly. The implication is here that destruction comes quickly. Jesus has told his disciples, as it was in Noah's day, as it was in Lot's day, and now Jesus will speak of Lot's wife. The only time that Jesus mentions remember in this passage is when he's talking about Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. That's Jesus' warnings there. Lot's wife had been saved. She had been delivered. She has been taken out of Sodom by the angels themselves, by the hand of the angels. But she looks back over her shoulder upon sinful Sodom, longing for the pleasures and the sins of Sodom, the lifestyles of Sodom, and the angels turn Lot's wife into a pillar of salt. Instant destruction upon her. She is destroyed. Why? Because she longed for the sin that God is bringing judgment upon. And she looks back and her own life, her own heart condemns her, and she's destroyed. Remember, Jesus says, Lot's wife. Jesus is saying, remember the attitude of your heart towards sin. 
God sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. You know the story. And through many miracles, God delivers his people out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. And in Numbers chapter 11, we, we read that the mixed multitude of people who have come out of Egypt along with the children of Israel, they're starting to murmur and complain. And they're complaining to Moses. They're murmuring about their diet, what we eat. And it reads, and the Lord was very displeased with them. This multitude, it says, has yielded to intense cravings. They want the meat. They want the fish of Egypt. They want the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. The people crave after these foods that they've left behind in Egypt, and they become extremely extremely ungrateful for God's provision, which is manna. God has provided them food in its manna, and they are extremely ungrateful for God's provision. And then we read that the fire of God burned among the people. God destroys them. Be careful when you begin to grieve or complain about the provisions of God. Manna happened to be God's provision for the people in the wilderness. In Psalms, we read that manna was food for angels. God is giving the people angel food. So Jesus speaks to his disciples. And he says, here's the one thing I want you to remember about end times. They're going to come. But I want you to remember Lot's wife. It's easy to see. It's easy for us to understand that Jesus himself is condemning the heart of Lot's wife who looks back upon her past sin and longs for it. And her past sin happened to be in the city of Sodom. So how does that apply to us? Our Lord has been faithful to deliver, to deliver us from our sinful past. We're redeemed. We're children of God. And he's delivered us. And it greatly displeases the Lord for us to look back upon our sinful days with delight. He doesn't want that to be part of us. He brought us out of that life, and he doesn't want us to look back upon it especially not longing for it. It displeases our Lord. It grieves the Holy Spirit for us to look back upon our sinful days and long for them. As Jesus said, 
remember Lot's wife. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, first of all, I believe each and every one of us here that know you, Lord, want to thank you for redeeming us. I thank you, Lord, for taking me out of a life of sin and regret. And, Lord, I do not want to ever look back upon that life of sin with a gleam in my eye or think for a moment that it was pleasurable. I thank you for delivering me, Lord. I do not want to have a heart like Lot's wife. So, Lord, I ask you afresh and anew. I want to thank you afresh and anew, Lord, for salvation, for bringing me out of a sinful past, Lord. And, Lord, set my feet upon solid ground. Lord, I want to live a life that is pleasing to you. I don't want to be looking back upon sin and destruction and remember the pleasure thereof. Thank you, Lord, for doing a good work in the hearts and lives of your people here. We rejoice in that, Lord, and we do not want to be like Lot's wife. So help us to remember her and learn from her, Lord. She is an example of what we're not to be like. So we thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for Jesus. And keep our hearts and minds stayed upon you. And we pray and ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.